Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Friends, hello, welcome. I hope you're having a good week and I'm glad to have you here. So today I want to talk to you about something that is a common thread among the different diagnoses for neurodivergent individuals. And it's a core symptom of ADHD and autism specifically. And that is emotional dysregulation. Now signs of emotional dysregulation are things like severe depression or anxiety, self-harm, high levels of shame and anger, excessive substance use or excessive screen use, highly conflictual interpersonal relationships, disordered eating, suicidal thoughts or attempts, even extreme perfectionism. And then more specific to autistic and neurodivergent young people is an amplified emotional response or poor emotional control maybe breaking things or violently acting out or just simply overblown reactions to small setbacks and challenges. And then in children, you might even like see signs of, of emotional dysregulation might look like refusing to speak, lots of crying, withdrawing, again, just really high levels of anxiety and the inability to be flexible. Now, why are neurodivergents more likely to get emotionally dysregulated than the typical brained population? And it's because they have sensory and cognitive challenges, okay? This might look like low processing speeds or their brains are just not filtering information the same way that a neurotypical brain tends to. Neurotypical brains are better at filtering unnecessary information where someone with a neurodivergent brain might just, their brain doesn't filter it out. And so it comes at them and it can be overwhelming. The sen their sensory experience can be really overwhelming if their brain doesn't filter things as easily. And studies have shown from brain scans, and this is so interesting to me, studies are actually showing from brain scans that the activity in the prefrontal cortex where emotions are actually regulated that was, it was markedly diminished during emotional reactions for neurodivergent people as compared to neurotypical. So there's actual brain functioning that is not as robust for someone that's neurodivergent. And perceptions and the information that the brain takes in, it gets filtered straight to the amygdala. And that's the brain structure that's responsible for fight, flight, freeze responses. And the amygdala can unconsciously manipulate the sympathetic nervous system that extends throughout the body's physiological systems. And so there's a lot of complex things happening in the brain and physiologically in the body. And a simpler way to think of this is emotional dysregulation results when a person is in their lower brain survival fear state. And studies suggest that neurodivergents have brains that are sensitive to that response and they have more difficulty emotionally regulating. 
So it can be super challenging to work with and parent someone, to parent a young person who is emotionally dysregulated, okay? Especially when they're chronically dysregulated. And for some neurodivergence, they just simply haven't developed the skills and the brain pathways for emotional regulation. And for others, they don't have the capacity to develop it much further. Like they may have reached their sort of glass ceiling on that and they, they aren't going to be able to develop it much more. That's part of the disability. That's why it's disabling in many ways is that ability to emotionally regulate just affects so many areas of our lives. And one of the reasons that behavioral compliance approaches, kind of the old school parenting approaches and a lot of our schools, classrooms are set up with these approaches where they're using external rewards and punishments. They might appear to be effective in the short term, but long term, this the reason they don't work is because it can damage your relationship with that person. And studies are showing over and over again that empathy, especially like with, with therapists even, like therapy is more effective based on how much empathy the therapist shows. And mentors are able to be more effective at mentoring based on how much empathy they're able to show, right? Having someone that believes in you and really connects to you and isn't judging you, but like gets you and holds space for you and who you are and where you're at, that empathy for, for someone else's experience, that builds connection and strong relationship and relationships contribute to emotional regulation. Behavioral compliance approaches disrupt that connection. They disrupt the empathy. They create blocks or distance in that. And a lot of times we will look at, oh, well, someone is being behaviorally compliant and we think that they're developing. But you have to understand that, that those two things do not equate. Behavioral compliance does not equate, I'm going to repeat that again, behavioral compliance doesn't equate with development or overall well-being. If someone is complying and they're willpowering it and they're super stressed in that compliance and they're doing it because something outside of them is compelling them to do it, it over time, that's going to show up as mental health challenges later on when they're older. We see it a lot at our school with our students. And so what we do at our school, actually, at Techie for Life, is a neurodevelopmental mentoring approach. And with neurodevelopmental mentoring, we can support development of their of overall emotional regulation and a sense of well-being. And what neurodevelopmental mentoring is, is mentoring yourself and your mentee based on mental and emotional states through connection and collaboration to support development and well-being. That's the focus. If you just interpret behaviors and judge them as bad or good, and that you see your, your job is as one of trying to get them motivated to be good and perform well, or to be motivated to not behave badly, you're missing a big piece of the pie. Anyone teaching in a classroom knows that a child who is stressed and is having a hard time, they struggle to learn and to perform as expected. For example, if a child has parents that are in the middle of a divorce, or maybe they're being abused, 
or maybe they've just moved there and they're a new student in the class. Anything that's like a life change or causing stress on a child, it really inhibits their ability to learn. And it's actually kind of interesting too. Um, I read about a study they did where they took three classrooms and they and they were administering a test to each of those class classes. And one of the classes, they just kept the mood in the room neutral and they administered the test. In the other classroom, they had them talk about depressing things and had like a very depressing mood in the class before they gave the test. And in the, the third group, they showed them funny videos and got them laughing and had like a light, fun feeling in the classroom. And then they gave them the test and then looked at which, which class performed the best on that test. And as you would imagine, like the, the neutral and the depressing group, they performed about the same. I think the depressed group performed a little bit worse. But the group that watched something funny and humorous and light, they performed significantly better. Like it was like five or six percentage points higher than the other two groups. And so when, when we're in a good place and we have a sense of well-being, we're able to perform better. We're able to show up and we're engaged in our higher brain and we're like fully functioning. It just, it lights us up, right? But when we're neutral to depressed and we're stressed, we don't perform as well. We don't do as well. We're, we're in more of a fight, flight, free state, which is not the logical part of our brain. So when you have a focus on supporting development, you realize that for development to happen, we have to learn mental flexibility, right? We've got to be able to be able to move from a lower brain, stressed, fear-based, you know, state to one of a higher brain state where you, you feel good and you feel okay. And, and to be able to do that, you have to feel safe to do that. The brain has to believe you're safe to be able to move back into a higher brain state. And so when, when we have a behavioral compliance approach where we're trying to control and manipulate behavior, we're exerting the, or we're exerting power of influence and using power differential. And what this does is it feels threatening to the brain. We don't feel safe when someone's trying to get us to do something and do it through manipulative tactics, right? That doesn't promote trust. And we feel our autonomy being threatened. And it, it sends us into a fight, fight or freeze response. Now, the other piece of this to, to be aware of and to understand is, and I hear parents talking about it. And I know I experienced as a parent, we see these inconsistencies in behavior, in their behavioral performance. One day they're able to perform a task, maybe even one week they're able to perform a task. And then the next week, they can't at all. Like they're just not able to do it. Or the next day, like they're just not able to perform that task that, that they were be able to, able to perform the, the previous day. And it can be super confusing. And we think, no, I know they can do it. They did it yesterday. But we have to understand that inconsistent behavioral performance is often due to struggles with emotional regulation. It, it has to do with how stressed they are. And what you bring to the table, if you're stressed, if you're in a stressed emotional state, you just don't have the capacity to do the same things you can do when you're in a non-stressed, higher brain state. This is not 
willfulness, okay? When someone has inconsistencies, inconsistencies in their behavioral performance, this isn't about motivation, okay? This is about whether they're stressed or not and how much emotional capacity they have to tackle different tasks and perform them. When you're in a lower brain state, you just cannot perform as well as you can perform when you're in a higher brain state. And so this is why getting into power struggles is so unhelpful because you are actually triggering a stressed state. Stress undermines development and it contributes to emotional dysregulation. But when you have a relationship of influence, Jason talks about this a lot, that creates and contributes to having a safe, connected relationship where you support emotional regulation and safety and that mental flexibility to be able to move into a higher brain state. With neurodevelopmental mentoring that we do at our school, we focus on building connected relationships and having we focus on really building positive interactions and trust and having fun together and building experiences and connection in areas of interest um, or even just in mundane stuff, but like connecting through that. And the focus is not on temporary, you know, which I get sometimes are effective and temporarily on behavioral compliance, but that can trigger that lower brain survival state. And it's just not sustainable and it, it can da actually damage the relationship. Okay. But long-term sustainable relationships of connection and collaboration support development so that a young person can develop to their, their full capacity and have that overall sense of well-being, which is a higher brain state. So developing your ability to emotionally regulate helps you offer more safety to support emotional regulation in your relationship with them. It's what we would call co-regulation. Focusing on your emotional regulation and then supporting theirs will give you so much more positive results than trying to stop bad behavior. If you are a parent, a teacher, a coach, a therapist, or anyone who works with young people and you have a mentoring heart and you want to support growth and development and emotional regulation, I encourage you to let go of your attachment to needing your child, teen, or young adult to be okay or to be emotionally regulated or to need them to be happy or behaving appropriately so that you can be okay. So I encourage you to let go of your attachment of whatever their emotional state is for things to be okay. And I'm not saying to not care. That's actually the opposite of what I'm saying. What I am saying is if you want to help them emotionally regulate, you've got to go first. You work on your own emotional regulation so that you can be for, there for them when they're not emotionally regulated. Your child, your teen, your young adult, their okayness is not needed for you to be okay. We want to detach from that part of it, okay? 
So if you find yourself, for example, saying things like, oh, if they just did this thing, you know, some kind of change, then I wouldn't be so worried or anxious or stressed. Like I just, you know, I need to figure out this problem with them and then I'm going to be okay. I want you to be on to yourself. Your mental and emotional state isn't dependent on your child, teen or young adults emotional state. It's dependent on you, on your own thinking. And when you need your child, teen or young adult to do and be better for you to do and be better, you are left powerless and you're much more likely to fall back into behavioral compliance approaches because then you're trying to manipulate their behavior so that you can feel okay. So I want to encourage you to detach your mental emotional state from your young person so that you can actually be more emotionally regulated and actually be able to connect to them. Your mental and emotional state can either escalate things or it can de-escalate things. And so like that term co-regulation, it's your calm helps them to be more calm. And when they move into a calmer, higher brain state, then you can teach or you can discuss things if you want to. Like you can do those kinds of things. But first what has to happen is the calming, the safety, the like, we're okay. <laughs> I'm okay and I'm offering you okayness. Now, if this is challenging for you, and I have absolutely zero judgment for you if you find yourself getting triggered by your young person. If this is challenging for you to emotionally regulate, I encourage you to, to get coaching or see a therapist and work through some of that so that you can show up in a more emotionally regulated state. Because let's face it, when, when we're emotionally regulated, we all behave better, we all handle stress better, and we actually develop, and, and we develop at a faster rate. And I want you to remember that a child, a teen, or a young adult who behaves poorly because they struggle with regulating their emotions, they aren't being bad, okay? They don't have the neurology developed or the skills to, re to regulate their emotions. So one of the traps we fall into over and over is trying to, to get them to behave better so we can all be okay. And I want you to know that focusing on your own emotional regulation your ability to stay calm and confident when your young person is emotionally dysregulated is going to help you be able to create a consistent environment of co-regulation that's going to support their development and is going to support their mental health. That's where you want your focus on. Not on manipulating their behavior, but being able to show up from a calm, confident place no matter what's going on for your young person. And it's such an amazing opportunity to be the safe, supportive person in their life and be the one that they trust and go to when they need support. It's just such a beautiful opportunity to be that safe person for them. It creates a bond and a connection and it feels so good to be in a relationship where you, you, you can be that person for them. In fact, we all do better when we have people like that in our life. And I hope you do have people like that in your life and that you can develop 
even more your ability to be that person for your young person's in their in your in your young person's life. Because if you have if you're working with someone that's autistic or ADHD or neurodivergent, that is part of the disability is that emotional regulation piece. And so what an amazing thing to be able to show up and be that person in their life that helps support them in that area that they struggle in. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of when you are able to, to literally watch it happen in front of you, when you can be calm when they're stressed and then they start to calm down and it, it feels amazing. And that, that alone is all you need to do, right? Once they're calm, if we want to teach, we want to do those other things, great, go for it. But when they're stressed, when we're aware of their mental emotional state and understand that they have difficulty regulating that, we can help support their ability to be able to regulate that. And as they practice that, as they have that in their life, they, they move from one brain state to another they start to develop the ability to do that and they'll start doing it on their own more and more. So that's what I have for you on this. I hope you find this helpful. And again, if this is an area of struggle for you, I hope that you will seek out a coach. You can come find me or, or meet with a therapist to kind of work through stuff that might be like some of those triggers or patterns that you have that, that, get you into a stress state and I hope you get help for yourself um, because this is such an important part of of being effective as a mentor as a parent as a teacher as a coach all those things so I hope you have an amazing week and take care of yourself bye-bye thanks for joining us on this episode of autism and neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie if you want to learn more about our work come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. Mm -hmm.